we get now that dots are really important. I don't think I have to make that argument anymore. But um, having a really good core tutorial is still kind of a thing that a lot of projects don't have. So the fact that we're learning open source tools means that you have to be aware because when they're explaining these tools to us, they have to reference people who created them and where they came from. So people, you know, they know who like Dan Abramoff is, but the idea of participating in open source is where there's still that gap. So it's a question of like, where are you in the stack and how many layers you want to go with it. Hey, this is Brian, and you're listening to Jamstack Radio, a bi-weekly series where we discuss the Jamstack, a new way of building websites and apps that are fast, secure, and simple to work with. Jamstack Radio is brought to you by Heavybit, a program dedicated to helping startups take their developer products to market. For more information, visit heavybit.com. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at Jamstack Radio. Welcome to another installment of Jamstack Radio. On the line, we've got Anthony Campolo. Welcome, Anthony. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm such a huge fan. I'm really glad to be here. Awesome. Well, I'm flattered. <laughs> Honestly, uh, I know people listen to this thing, and I keep putting these things out. And uh, I'm just happy to talk about the Jamstack, and uh, which is why you're here. So do you want to tell the listeners what your expertise is and maybe a little bit about your background? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm someone who's coming to this whole coding programming world from a different background. So I originally studied music and I was a music teacher for a little while and I ran a performing arts summer camp for a little while called U-Camps. I describe it as like school of rock in the woods, but then they also had like film and dance and it started as a theater camp originally. So that was a lot of fun. But um, I eventually just kind of wanted to do something different and got really into coding originally through kind of machine learning data science stuff and was learning Python, but I didn't get a whole lot of progress there because there was you know, a lot of challenges. And I eventually kind of looked more towards like the web development, JavaScript side. And now I'm studying full stack uh, web development at Lambda School. And I got really into Redwood JS and have been writing articles about it and just learning a lot about the framework and it's um yeah it's been great i've learned a lot and i've gotten really into the whole open source movement and the jamstack because redwood is this idea of full stack jamstack how do we take the ideas of the jamstack and extend them throughout the whole stack okay yeah and uh just for <laughs> just for dad jokes uh and everybody who's waiting for me to say this when you say it's a uh, school of rock in the in the woods it also could be like Camp Rock, uh, which is the Jonas Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's probably what most people would think of. <laughs> yeah, it depends on you. You're showing your age, <laughs> Gen Z or Millennial. Yeah, thoroughly Millennial here. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm curious to dig into Redwood JS and sort of like understand what you mean by that sort of fitting in the jam. Do you want to give us like an overview of what the stack looks like there and like how it sort of fits? Yeah, so it's called a. Full stack serverless framework for the Jamstack. The idea being that it has a React front end that's statically delivered by CDN, so something like Netlify, and is using AWS Lambdas under the hood, and then uses GraphQL to talk to the back end. So it's a full Jamstack application that can be basically deployable with just Git push. Excellent. Yeah, and I heard Netlify, 
And then some lambdas too as well. Are they, you just said Netlify functions, or were you specifically deploying this to AWS? Yeah, so Netlify uses AWS Lambda under the hood. So yeah. if you follow the Redwood tutorial, you deploy to Netlify, but it has alternate ways to deploy it. You can do it with like the serverless framework, and they just figure out how to do it with Docker. So now you can do it on just like an EC2 or any sort of container you want. It's deployable in almost any fashion at this point. That's interesting. And um, I, I know you, you had just mentioned uh, that you are currently learning Lambda School, or did you complete it? Uh, yeah, no, so I'm still a student. Um, I was learning a lot of this stuff before I started. A lot of people, I think, who go to boot camps, they get the idea they want to learn to code, and then they go to the boot camp, and so it's they're going from complete zero. Whereas I came in already having spent like a year trying to learn Python, and then like probably six months or so learning HTML, CSS, JavaScript, your, your web fundamentals, and a little bit of React. And then mostly the boot camp was like a really React-heavy thing. They, they say it's full stack, but it's three months of front end and one month of back end. So it's kind of like front end curriculum with a little bit of back end tacked on at the very end. So I've been kind of filling in the gaps of the back end knowledge. <laughs> I've learned more about how to actually create a full-stack application from learning Redwood that I did from getting my full-stack web development kind of boot camp thing. And, and it's not that it hasn't been valuable. I've learned a, a ton of stuff. Don't get me wrong. But um, there's kind of a gap there. Yeah, yeah. And it sounds like a testament too as well because I imagine most Lambda school students are not coming with the experience that you came with with a year and six months of web development on your own, but also Python on your own. Mm-hmm. So because you had the, you were able to bypass all the beginning stages, you're able to go to the next level of actually getting the stuff in production and even having the experience of like the servos framework, which it sounds like you have at least been exposed to. And uh, even with Netlify, you're able to sort of dig slightly deeper. And I think so I'm actually a bootcamp grad as well. Uh, so I did, went through a program roughly seven years ago. And what was your curriculum at the time? Was that like Ruby on Rails? It was Ruby on Rails. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was full stack at the time. So back in 2013, Ruby on Rails plus jQuery was full stack, and that was beautiful because I was able to breeze through the basics of the Rails tutorial mm-hmm. and then move on to actually doing what you're doing. So I was able to like touch the AWS, touch the S3s and EC2s and and figure out that. In addition to also, at the time, Heroku was probably just the, the main focus on a lot of the boot camps uh, and deploying stuff. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's we use Heroku in my boot camp and the Redwood tutorial uses Heroku as well. Excellent. Yeah, so I'm, I'm curious about this, uh, like Redwood.js with its sort of coupling of the front-end JavaScript framework and also couples with the back end as well. That it seems like there's a movement. And I actually had Brandon from Blitz.js actually on the podcast a couple episodes ago. Mm-hmm. And what's fascinating is that when I learned React, like roughly five years ago, the whole mantra was like, this is a library. It's not a framework, it's a library. You can make all the decisions you want. And then that's what people did. Mm-hmm. And everybody was like, you can go with the minutia of like trying to figure out, like, oh, do we do double quotes, single quotes? But like, Take that to the, the point of React and like how are you gonna structure your Redux? You know, I was gonna call them containers. Just where you put your files, like what your folder structure is, all of that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the community figured that all out and they all had very strong opinions. Mm-hmm. And now we see this sort of like I don't want to say an explosion, it's like a handful of React frameworks where all the decisions are made for you. And the goal is literally just get the thing up and deployed and start working on the business side of whatever the site is or the app is. So it sounds like Redwood is in a similar vein where I can walk in with a lot of opinions, but those don't matter. 
like I can sort of ship an app with Redwood? Is that what we're looking at? Yeah, the idea is that it's going to be something that you can both develop very quickly, iterate very quickly, and then deploy it and get it up very quickly as well. So that's definitely what it's aiming for because it's trying to take all these new tools we have and integrate them in a way that makes them a little more beginner-friendly, a little more approachable. So things like GraphQL and things like serverless and all these ideas that are floating around and are hard to kind of piece together. And I find it really fascinating because if you look at, you had React, GraphQL, Relay, and then the Flux architecture, which people kind of created their own libraries from. All this stuff was kind of released by Facebook piecemeal. And now people are trying to tie these all together in a way that's like coherent. That's kind of how I look at it. And you have something like Blitz, which is built on top of Next. So you have a framework and then a framework on top of the framework, whereas Redwood's kind of owning the whole space that Next and Blitz would do together. So it's a question of like, where are you in the stack and how many layers you want to go with it. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think it's up to the developer to decide, or perhaps the developer's manager to decide. Yeah, and it's great to have choices, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I like the fact that I can now, because I'm at the point where in, in my career where I don't really care <laughs> about you know where you put your folders and how that structure works. Mm-hmm. You tell me what it is, and I'll, I'll figure it out. And I want the opinions at this point, even though I've sort of, like, my career's grown alongside of React, and I've seen the transition of how there was a tweet that went out a couple weeks ago, or this week actually, around the evolution of React by year and how people wrote components. Because mm-hmm. it seemed like every React conf, there was like a new way to write your components. And like that's great, but also like I don't want to rewrite my entire React code every time there's a change. Like I'd love to have a framework sort of dictate updates when those need to happen. The beauty of the things like Ruby on Rails is that it didn't write the code for you, but it almost did. But if you kept within the quote unquote rails, like I can migrate. At least I can today. I can migrate from different versions of Rails. I know some people are probably sitting here in Rails two dot whatever apps or three dot two apps <laughs> and like, no, this is not the way it is. I can't upgrade because the path is broken. But um I think nowadays I think a lot of frameworks have figured out we should make sure companies and businesses are not stuck or SOL because we made a weird decision. Um I'm going to shout out uh, a framework that uh, made a lot of those decisions for everybody and is still chugging along with everybody else behind, but I won't punch down and (laughs) mention that framework. But I guess what I'm getting at is I'm curious of your onboarding because, again, you're currently in Lambda School. I just want to make that clear for the listener. You're still Mm -hmm. in the boot camp, (laughs) but you're not only using probably a a tool or a framework that's not taught in the boot camp, I assume. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, this is stuff I all learned on my own because I listen to a lot of podcasts like this one. Yeah. And when it first came out, Tom did a podcast blitz. So he did JS Party in March, Full Stack Radio in April, and then Software Daily, Front End First, Shop Talk, and the Wappy Radio one, which is like an only 24 hour thing that happened only once. So yeah, I listened to all six of those. That was kind of like where I got all the ideas of how it worked. And then I went through the whole tutorial and wrote essentially a blog series documenting me going through the tutorial. So it's called A First Look at Redwood JS. And um, it's 12 parts. The first four parts is like the history and what is Jamstack, what is serverless, and why do people want a full stack React framework at all? And uh, it's like how the history of React and all that. So um, I was really interested in just the history of the framework and spent a lot of time writing about that. But then the tutorial itself is super approachable because 
the tutorial is kind of what drives the project. They call it tutorial driven development hmm. where they created the tutorial and then wrote the code to make the, the tutorial work. <laughs> kind of like <laughs> that's um, amazing. Readme driven development is what the play on, which is you would write your readme and then you make your code fit your readme. So it kind of guarantees that there's a way for people to progressively learn the framework because there's a lot of things you have to learn to use it. You have to learn GraphQL. And I didn't really know how to use GraphQL before doing this because you don't learn GraphQL in the boot camp either. No. So um, you are kind of revealed how to write GraphQL queries and then how to create a GraphQL schema definition language. And it starts by generating a bunch for you. And then it has you build a contact form. So you learn how to basically create in the Redwood way after it generated a bunch of stuff for you. So it's really fascinating. And um, I really just think it's a whole different way of thinking about the use of tutorials. Because we get now that docs are really important. I don't think I have to make that argument anymore. Yeah. But um, having a really good core tutorial is still kind of a thing that a lot of projects don't have. Yeah, and like going back to the mantra of Rails, and I know Tom, he, he did a lot of Rails back in the day. He built GitHub mm-hmm. using Rails. But you can't really sleep on those tutorials because that's what really drove Rails into its sort of forefront of like actually being taken seriously, which is funny because it was like the blog in 15 minutes mm-hmm. video that DHH made. But like getting one of those tutorials out in the open and like having it click for people to say, oh, this is the hands-on experience that I can now get my feet wet. I can actually understand this. And it sounds like you just went back to the history of RedwoodJS. And what was the the original name of RedwoodJS? I think I asked you already. Yeah, so it was first called Hammer. Hammer, that's right. Yeah, and then it was, there's some conflict. So they, they changed it to Redwood. But um, I like Redwood, and it, it fits me well because my camps were in the Santa Cruz Mountains, which is where the Redwoods are. It's like the Redwoods that Tom is referencing. <laughs> oh, excellent. Yeah, I mean, it's nice that and I think the hammer name was also apt too as well. I remember it was something tongue-in-cheek as well. But I guess what I'm getting at is like the fact that someone can actually understand the library is huge. Like, mm-hmm. There's one thing that I, I tend to complain a lot when I'm live streaming on Twitch is the Twitch API, because they build a lot of stuff around that just to engage with the community. Mm-hmm. But the API is kind of like a lot of the tutorials that I find you integrate the API, you get your token, and then you do like a console.log, and then that's it. Hmm. There's very few tutorials that actually go beyond that. And it's perhaps I haven't found them. But um, yeah, it was kind of like, wow, this is amazing. Like everybody's building on top of this thing, but it doesn't get past the hello world. And then you're on your own. And it just seems like a lot of opportunity. Listeners, if you want to build stuff on Twitch, please write a blog post or a tutorial. But what I guess what possessed you to actually write these blog posts too, as well? Because like, Perhaps was it the free time you had since you already knew the, the basics? or Yeah, it was me wanting to get into some sort of open source framework and like learn something substantial because I'm aware of there's a lot of interesting things happening. Like, you know, Vue 3 just, <laughs> just dropped. So you have a whole other set of frameworks built on top of Vue. You have Svelte and Sapper. And so once I kind of got in the lay of the land and like understood where the interesting projects were, I was like, okay, well, I learned React. So I should stay within those boundaries. That's what I understand at this point, at least. And so you had Redwood and Blitz, and you had Gatsby and Next, which were, at this point, three or four years old, really established. So it seemed like I could have more of an impact getting into Redwood. And it was just the most interesting. It it seemed really fascinating. And I thought the history was interesting. I thought the tech and how it was being used was interesting. I'd heard about all of these things that it used, like GraphQL and Lambdas, but I didn't know anything about them or how you would even use them, you know. So I don't know. It just kind of hit all the right points, and it just seemed like the thing to go for. 
And so I just started doing it and it was easy to keep doing it because the tutorial was so great. And I was basically just following along with that and kind of writing and then referencing the docs and then kind of explaining things in my own way or explaining things that I felt aren't really explained in the tutorial. Like when you do the scaffold command, it gives you the whole CRUD interface. And I spent a whole blog post just explaining all that code. And that's something that's not even in the tutorial at all. So I kind of expand upon it as well. And yeah, it's just, it's been really great. So I mostly just did it to learn it. And um, it turned out to also be a good way to contribute back, I think. Yeah, and I'm curious of now with all this content that you've been writing, your relationship now with the core team of Redwood JS, because now at this point there's a there's a team involved and contributors. Mm-hmm. Tell us about like how you sort of interact with the actual open source project as a whole. Yeah, so they are very open to getting community involvement. They are consciously trying to get as many people involved and to you know, get them engaged. And so they saw that I was putting these out and, you know, they responded well. They would kind of tweet back at me when I would tweet them. So, you know, Twitter is, you know, you can't discount Twitter and how, how easy it makes it to, to connect with people and kind of just, just at someone. So um, they have public meetups and I would go to those and then they have contributor calls. And then eventually I started going to the contributor calls and you just kind of have to just show up, you know, it really is just a matter of if you just show up and yeah. you don't have to contribute back a ton. Like I'm not pushing code, but um, by doing these kind of blog posts and now I'm doing like podcasts and I've done a couple of talks as well. So I'm kind of, I called myself the Redwood JS cheerleader and um, Drew called me the community champion, I think. <laughs> so yeah, I just, I'm trying to like kind of tell people about it and let them know like my journey with it and what I've gotten out of it and why I think it's interesting. and people should at least know about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, it's fascinating. If I was in your, your shoes uh, seven years ago when I got in the industry, like I didn't have an in with any sort of open source project or even know, even have the foresight to even go and participate in the community by providing content. Like my focus was streamline Ruby on Rails, make sure I, I understand that. And again, Ruby on Rails wasn't at the sort of... Um, Infancy that Redwood JS was, so like you sort of gotten at an opportune time mm-hmm. to be able to contribute and make huge impact to the community. And again, like as I'm saying, like looking at the scope and you named all the the frameworks I can think of uh, when you talk about built on top of React and on top of Next.js. So like just being a part of that sort of next wave of React libraries or frameworks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's another one actually, um, Bison that I think is is really really interesting and people should check out what it has that. Listen to Redwood don't have is it has CI, it has continuous integration built in by default. So I think that's really fascinating. Yeah. How is that? Uh, how does that run? I'm curious how you would embed CI into a framework. I think it's just because if you use it with GitHub, you can do it with GitHub now. So when I tried to push a doc fix to the, the README, I found a, a typo in the README. These are these are the types of <laughs> things I, I push into the repos and um, make a con CI because you have to give it like semantic whatever you have to say it's a doc fix like doc colon and then do the thing so um yeah that was super interesting and that's a level of sophistication that the other ones don't so wow and that's huge too is why i need to actually check out bison at this point now but i'm also curious like i I get the engagement with the open source team and like i think that's huge especially at your uh, beginning stages of your career Mm -hmm. but i'm also curious how does this play into your current learning at lambda school like, are there other learners at Lambda School that are involved in open source the way you are? Um, I have a buddy who is kind of getting into some of this. He's really interested in Svelte, so I'm kind of trying to, to nudge him in that direction. His name's Corbin. But um, 
Lambda is massive. It has like 3,000 students, I think, at this point. Really? And I engage with like a dozen people <laughs> in my Lambda experience. So it's really hard for me to say anything about what other people are doing. Uh, I think a lot of people, they, they see open source, especially because we're learning React. So the fact that we're learning open source tools means that you have to be aware of it because when they're explaining these tools to us, they have to reference people who created them and where they came from and like all this stuff. Yeah. So we're, we're learning Node, we're learning Express, we're learning React. And so everything we're learning is they're open source tools. So people, you know, they, they know who like Dan Abramoff is and stuff like that. But the idea of participating in open source is where there's still that gap. Yeah, and is this a full-time program, or do folks do this uh, part-time? You can do either. I started full-time and then switched to part-time. So the full-time is nine months, part-time is 18 months. So it's made to be very flexible, and it's really the idea of trying to give the opportunity of learning to code to anyone, because it's also an ISA, income share agreement. So you don't pay anything up front, and then you give a certain cut of your income for the first two years. And um, some people are really weirded out by that. but um, has been the only way that I could have gone to a boot camp like this. So for me, it's worked out well. And, you know, there's, there's challenges with it. There's difficulties, especially with remote learning that are kind of inherent to the medium. But um, the way they tackle it and the way they structure things, they're at the forefront of like how you can do this at all. So it's been a fascinating thing to see and participate in. And I think it's been good. Yeah, and is it all self-paced learning, like interacting remotely, or do you have like classes you attend? Like, I'm pretty much unfamiliar with Lambda School. I just know it exists, and that's it as far as I know. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty involved. So if you're doing full-time, every day you have a two-hour lecture, and then a project you have to build, and then a one-on-one with your team lead where you're essentially grading your project from the day before. Gotcha. And so if it's part-time, it's just that, but it's spaced out every other day instead of being every day. So you have a day of lecture, and then you have a day of just working on a project and being graded, and then you have a day of lecture and, and so on and so forth. And then each month is a unit. At the end of each unit, you do a build week, and then the build week, you kind of build a project. <laughs> the build week is a total cluster. It's a, a very few build weeks, I think, succeed. I think people learn anyway, but um, it's really hard to actually get your final project shipped and functioning just because getting all these tools to work together with beginners trying to use them is it's ridiculous. Yeah, well, uh, as someone who who writes code for a living, it's also very similar in, in the full time world. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, there's some projects I've just been stringing along for the past uh, weeks on top of weeks, and I've got a lot of open ended projects. But you know, that's just the life of a developer. And um, yeah, thanks for actually going through the um, the Lambda School structure too as well, because I was aware of it. I didn't realize it was so big. It also seems kind of open ended, like where you can have the freedom to go do something like this mm-hmm. and still sort of show up for these part-time meetings as well. And I think one thing that's also interesting is like the fact that you now have access to professional engineers as well through RedwordJS, which you mentioned that there's a public forum and then there's like contributor meetings. Can you explain? There's a Discord. Oh, and a Discord as well. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of different ways to kind of get involved. For the calls, it's for people who are kind of like consistently contributing, but um, anyone can kind of get involved. There's no qualifications you need or barriers behind it. Like if they see you get involved, then they'll invite you to it. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. And then the can you just briefly talk about the contributor meetings and like who leads the meeting? Do you do they talk about issues with the docs and the tutorials or stuff like that? 
Um, I mean, it's kind of fluid depending on who's there because, like I said, it's they'll pretty much bring anyone into the meeting who's who's contributing. So everyone's introducing themselves, kind of saying who they are, what they've done with Redwood, stuff like that. But um, yeah, if you want to know more about that, you should talk to David. David's like the community lead, and he kind of speak more to like the whole bigger structure and how it all works. But um, yeah, it's basically just like trying to like have a space where we can connect and see what everyone else is doing and ask questions and then also kind of like get to know each other at the same time. So it's really just trying to figure out how do we like work together in this kind of like remote environment and make it worthwhile for everyone. Sounds good. Yeah. Anything else you want to talk about Redwood before we transition the picks? Let's see. Uh, One other thing that I would want to talk about just because this is, you know, Jamstack is a really popular kind of database in the whole Jamstack area is FaunaDB. And so I built out this project of connecting Redwood and FaunaDB. And it was really great because I, I learned a whole bunch about the framework that I didn't learn from the tutorial. Because one thing we didn't really talk about is that if you go through the tutorial and you kind of use Redwood the way it's normally used, Prisma is really heavily integrated with it, which is a query builder. Uh, and it's a little bit like an RM. So that does a lot of your work with the database, but you can actually take that out and then hit a database that has a GraphQL endpoint. So Fauna, since they have a GraphQL endpoint, you can do all of your queries and mutations just through that. So I kind of just figured out how to get them to connect together and it's also totally serverless. So it's the idea of Redwood right now, even though it's a serverless front end, you still end up connecting to a Heroku Postgres backend. So your your database is not serverless, is not like distributed globally the way you'd want for like an actual full stack Jamstack. So by using FaunaDB, which uses the Calvin protocol and Raft and all this other stuff underneath to basically get distributed transactions and distributed consensus, you can actually get your globally distributed database as well. So I think that's super interesting. It's like interesting from a theoretical point of view, and it's also something that just like tinkering, figuring out how to make. No one had ever done before. So yeah, that was the thing I did. <laughs> cool. And where do you um, where do you write your blog posts? Like where can folks find the, uh, these links? Yeah. So um, dev slash ajc web dev. Ajc web dev is my Twitter handle. It's my GitHub. It's um, if you do ajc web dev app, you can get my actual blog. But um, most of my writing is kind of distributed equally throughout all these. So you'll you'll see the same stuff everywhere. But um. <laughs> Yeah, and the actual Fauna post was published on Fauna's blog because they have the Write with Fauna program. Oh, nice! And it was the first time I ever like written professionally and was paid to write professionally, and it was it was really cool. They helped me like figure out the outline and the topic, and it was a trip. <laughs> it was really cool. Very cool. Yeah. So hopefully, listeners check out uh, your Dev Two post. There'll be links in the show notes too as well, which we have all your your links as well. But with that being said, thanks for chatting about Redwood JS. I'm going to transition us to the picks. These are jam picks, things that sort of get us going, keep us happy in, in these times. And uh, I see you actually have some picks. Do you want to share your picks first? Yeah, absolutely. So the first one is FS Jam. The Twitter handle is FSJamORG, like FSJamORG. This is something that um, Christopher Burns is working a lot on. And it's the idea of full stack Jamstack, but in a larger idea than just Redwood. So looking at these other frameworks like Bison or Blitz 
or even frameworks in other languages or other frameworks aside from React that may be doing these kinds of ideas. So um, yeah, that's a thing that we're kind of going to start putting more content and effort into that I think is going to be really interesting and kind of more broadly look at this idea of what it means to build full stack jam stacks. And then I also have some music picks. So I was a musician before getting into code. So I obviously have tons and tons of love for music. And I want to recommend a couple of kind of like modern, almost jazz artists that I think people would actually really enjoy because um, it's not what you would think. It's a lot different. So the Bad Plus is their piano trio. So piano, stand-up bass, and drums. And they do jazz stuff, but they also do covers of like popular songs. So they do like a Smells Like Teen Spirit cover. They do an Iron Man cover. That's really, really cool. <laughs> and um, yeah, check those guys out. And then Marco Benevento is also kind of like a jazz piano trio, but instead of being all acoustic, it's electric bass. And the piano player runs, he runs his piano through effects pedals. So he kind of uses it like a guitar player would use effects pedals to create these like crazy electronic-y sounds. It's, it's really great. Both of those guys, Bad Plus and Marco Benevento, I saw at Yoshi's back in the day, which is like one of the best jazz clubs in the world in, in Oakland. So yeah, super, super highly recommend both those. And then the last one is Fang Island. These guys have the best description for their music. They say that their music sounds like everybody high-fiving everybody. <laughs> so it's just like really happy, good, fun, get-together kind of music. So yeah, those are my, those are my picks. Awesome. Yeah, I love those picks. I'm definitely going to check out some of these uh, jazz groups too as well. I've actually never been to that jazz club too as well. And I, I live here in Oakland. But yeah, I, I'm going to mention my pick. First pick is uh, Jamstack Handbook. Uh, this is a, a book that I saw coming through the Party Corgi Network. Um, the individual is actually going to be on the podcast really soon. Yeah, I've, def- I've definitely seen this. <laughs> yeah, so I love that this Jamstack content is coming out and folks are sort of like stepping into this jam uh, and sharing their sort of gems and knowledge. So uh, definitely check out that book um, and then also check out the future episode that we'll have. And then the other one is going to be, so I, I mentioned previously on this podcast, I have a YouTube channel that I've been sort of like shepherding during uh, now that I work from home 100% and uh, leveraging some of this free time to do some stuff. So actually the question was proposed on Twitch of all places. Someone asked how I got my job at GitHub. And the story is long, so, so I kind of condensed it into like, this is what happened, and now this is where I'm at, and uh, you can do it too. So I, I created a video, I sort of condensed it, and sort of had some preamble of how I got to where I am, just in general. And it really just comes down to some of the stuff you had mentioned as well. It's like this writing blog post, putting yourself out there. Like, I am a bootcamp grad, I didn't have a CS background, I learned Ruby on Rails and then eventually got an open source. And I think a lot of those things help set a foundation. And I think a lot of times people can be allergic to hearing that information, saying that I should just be able to apply for jobs and get them. But what I'm getting at is you don't have to do this. Like You don't have to write a blog post. You don't have to go attend these meetings with Redwood JS. But because you don't have to, it means not a lot of people do. So it's, a, it's an easy way to set yourself apart. And I found so much correlation in this conversation and learning how you sort of are now coming up and eventually like you'll probably end up doing some really great things um, or perhaps you might be contributing to Redwood full-time. Uh, who knows? Uh, but I just want to share that video because I, I shared my story, you just shared your story, and I just want to encourage anybody listening to just put yourself out there and join an open source project, write a blog post, do both of them, do none of them, you know, pick whatever path you'd like. So with that being said, 
Anthony, appreciate you coming on and chatting with us. And uh, listeners, keep spreading the jam. That's all the time we have for today. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at Jamstack Radio. To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com. And while you're there, check out their library. It's packed with amazing talks on sales, marketing, product, and general management from founders of developer tools companies and other industry leaders. 